0: Some of you have been through tremendous pain and suffering recently. In fact, some of you have buried your own children. Some of you have seen your spouse walk out on you. Some of you have been victims of addiction. Some of you have been abused. Maybe even. You're being abused right now. Some of you have watched your financial fortunes disappear. And in every instance, you prayed that God would spare you of such sufferings and he has said no. Here's my question. Where was God through all this? I thought we had a God of love. Why hasn't He spared you of these things? Is it possible that the God we all pray to actually does not exist? That our prayers just bounce off the ceiling? Or if He does exist, perhaps He's evil. In fact, that's what atheist Richard Dawkins has said, probably the most famous atheist in the world who wrote the book, The God Delusion. Here's what he says about the God of the Old Testament. He says, the God of the Old Testament is arguably the most unpleasant character in all of fiction, jealous and proud of it, a petty, unjust, unforgiving control freak, a vindictive, bloodthirsty, ethnic cleanser, a misogynistic, homophobic, racist, infanticidal, genocidal, filicidal, pestilential, megalomaniacal, sadomasochistic, capriciously malevolent bully and those are his good qualities I mean when you take a cursory look at the Old Testament it's kind of hard to disagree with Dawkins I mean what's his business about God killing the Canaanites how is that a God of love and if this God did actually exist why would you worship him We're about out of time. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, what if your best arguments to doubt God show that he actually exists? What if your best arguments to doubt God show that he actually exists? Because I submit to you that's what's going on here. In fact, I think when atheists are making arguments like this against God, they are actually stealing from God to argue against him. What do I mean by that? Well, in at least six ways, atheists steal from God to argue against him, delineated by the acronym crimes. Atheists often say that causality, reason, information, morality, evil, and science somehow point to atheism. I submit to you that none of these things would exist unless God existed. In effect, God is the being that makes all these things possible. And none of these things would exist unless God existed. So when atheists are claiming, for example, there's too much evil in the world, they're actually stealing from God to argue against him. They have to sit in God's lap to slap his face. And this is based on our book, Stealing from God, Why Atheists Need God to Make Their Case. Now, obviously, we can't go through all this here this morning. We have limited time, but it would be supremely evil if I tried to go through all this. Uh, and kept you here all afternoon. So what we're gonna just do is just try and cover this one issue of evil. Basically, we're gonna try and answer the question, if there's a good God, why is there evil? And we're gonna try and do it in three steps. First step is... We're going to try and ask the question, does evil disprove God? Because you hear atheists saying this all the time. If there's a good God, why is there all this evil in the world? And even Christians, we ask that question. Secondly, if evil doesn't disprove God, what's the purpose of evil? Why does he allow it to continue? And then finally, we're going to deal with the question, what's God's solution to evil? If it doesn't disprove God and God has a purpose, what's his ultimate solution? Now, before we get into this, I need to point out That evil is not just a problem for the head, it's also a problem for the heart. And what I mean by that is, if you're in the middle of evil and suffering right now, pain and suffering right now, what I say this morning may not resonate. You may go, hey, this isn't really connecting with me right now. Because when you're going through evil, pain and suffering, you don't need a philosopher, you need a pastor. So I'm just gonna give you Ben's email address, okay? (laughs) Cell phone. I'll give you cell phone address. Okay, I'll give you a cell phone number. But I am convinced of this, that if you're in the middle of pain, evil, and suffering right now, one of the first steps back to wholeness is for you to intellectually recognize that God does exist, and he has a reason or several reasons why you're going through this, even if you never discover this side of eternity, what those reasons are. All right? So what we're going to do here is we're going to start right here at point one. Does evil disprove God? You guys ready to go? All right. Three of us are. I thought you said this was the most enthusiastic service. Well, the people must have been in a coma the last two. Come on. Are you guys ready to go? All right. Good. See, you're right. Okay. All right, does evil disprove God? Now, in order to do this, we've got to make a two-column chart because we really have to look at this from 10,000 feet and get the big picture. I want to give arguments that God does exist and then an argument that he doesn't exist and see how these compare. Now, I didn't see the show of hands earlier. How many people in here were here for the I Don't Have Enough Faith to Be an Atheist seminar, okay? How many people were not? Where were you? (laughs) I mean, come on. Anyway. A lot of what I'm going to put on the left side of this screen, we covered in, in some detail yesterday. So if you weren't here, I think it's probably still up on YouTube. You can go watch it. I don't have time to go through all this. I'm just going to list them here. I don't have time to defend them all. Yesterday, we talked about an evidence for God as the beginning of the universe. We also talked about the fine tuning of the universe. We talked about the information found in DNA. In every one of your 40 trillion cells, there's a computer program that's 8.5 or 3.5 billion letters long. That's the product of intelligence. Life itself is the product of intelligence. Also, consciousness and free will, our ability to even ascertain truths outside of our skulls and make free will decisions, that seems to be the product of intelligence. Intelligence and reason itself. Why can we even reason about anything? That appears to be the product of a mind. The laws of nature. You ever wonder why the laws of nature are so precise and consistent? Why do they do the same thing over and over again? Why can't we rely on them to do the same thing over and over again? Laws come from lawgivers. And if there are these laws of nature and they exist, that's how we can do science, by the way, there must be somebody making these laws and keeping them going. That's what we mean by God. Also, objective morality. We talked about that yesterday, that if there's one thing morally wrong out there, Like murder's wrong, there has to be a God. Otherwise, it would just be your opinion against the murderer's opinion. It's gotta be a standard beyond us. We also mentioned Old Testament prophecy and the resurrection of Jesus and the other miracles that were done in New Testament times. I think these are all good reasons to believe that God exists. What's the major reason to believe he doesn't exist? For many, it's this problem known as evil. But here's my question. Does evil disprove God? This is the interactive portion of the program. The answer is no. Evil doesn't disprove God. Actually, evil is an argument for God because objective evil presupposes objective good and objective good requires God. What do we mean by this? What I mean is, is that evil can't exist on its own. Evil has to only or can only exist if good exists. Evil is like cancer. If you take all the cancer out of a good body, you got a better body, right? What happens if you take all the body out of the cancer? It doesn't exist, right? Evil is like rust in a car. If you take all the rust out of a car, you got a better car. What happens if you take all the car out of the rust? Just got a rust spot on the pavement. There's nothing there, right? A totally moth-eaten garment is a hanger, okay? It doesn't exist. In other words, evil doesn't exist unless good exists. But good can't exist unless God exists. Evil is a privation or a lack in good. So if evil exists, and we all know it does, that's what all the atheists are complaining about, then they're actually giving an argument for God because there'd be no such thing as evil unless there was good and there'd be no such thing as good unless God existed because good by definition is what we mean by God's nature. All right? And C.S. Lewis, by the way, recognized this. Early on in his life, he was an atheist because he went through World War I and he said there was too much evil in the world. There's too much injustice in the world or injustice so there can't be a good God. And then at one point, he had an epiphany. In fact, Lewis was partially led to Christianity by J.R.R. Tolkien, the guy that wrote Lord of the Rings... And Lewis eventually realized that his argument against God didn't work because evil requires good and good requires God. Here's how he put it in Mere Christianity, his book. He said, as an atheist, my argument against God was that the universe seems so cruel and unjust, but how had I got this idea of just and unjust? A man does not call a line crooked unless he has some idea of a straight line. What was I comparing this universe with when I called it unjust? You see, you wouldn't know what a crooked line was unless you knew what a straight line was. You wouldn't know what unjustice was unless you knew what justice was. Something can't be not right unless something is. Something can't be immoral unless something is. So evil can't exist unless good exists. And good can't exist unless God exists. So evil doesn't disprove God. Evil may prove there's a devil out there but it can't disprove God. We can look at it another way. The shadows prove the sunshine. In order to have shadows, you have to have sunshine. This is not a good illustration for Seattle, is it? And yeah, we got no sunshine anywhere here, but you get the idea, right? Um, you can't have shadows unless you have artificial light. You got to have light, right? Can't have shadows unless you have light. Oh, you can have light without shadows, right? You can have good without evil, but you can't have shadows without light. So evil doesn't disprove God. Again, it shows that there has to be a light somewhere to even know this. And you would be surprised perhaps to realize that even atheists agree with this. In fact, Richard Dawkins, again, the most famous atheist in the world, said this because... He was talking about atheistic materialism that were just molecular machines. If that's the case, and there's no God, there is no good or evil. Here's how he put it. He said, In a universe of blind physical forces and genetic replication, some people are going to get hurt and other people are going to get lucky, and you won't find any rhyme or reason to it, nor any justice. There is at the bottom no design, no purpose, no evil, and no good, nothing but blind, pitiless indifference. DNA neither knows nor cares. DNA just is, and we dance to its music. You know what he's basically saying? You're just a molecular machine. You're just a moist robot. Everything you think, every decision you make is the result of the laws of physics. You're just dancing to your DNA. You don't have free will. Whatever you do, it's because physics made you do it. That's atheistic materialism. Now, we might ask somebody who says this, if every thought you have is just comes from the laws of physics. Why should we believe this thought then? Right? It's a self-defeating way of looking at the world, but nobody accused atheists of ever being consistent. Now, you might look at this and go, wait a minute, Frank. Is this the same guy that you just had up there a few minutes ago who said this? Yep. And you notice this word he has right in the middle of this? Unjust. He just got done telling us there's no such thing as justice or injustice or good or evil. So where's he getting this concept of unjust from? You know where he's getting it from? He's stealing it from God. While he's claiming there is no God, he's actually stealing the standard of justice in order to say God doesn't exist. Again, he has to sit in God's lap to slap his face. Now, All this business about the Canaanites and all this, we deal with in the book, stealing from God. But the only point I want to make here is, is that as soon as you try and complain about something as being evil, you're presupposing good. And when you're presupposing good, you're presupposing God. So the bottom line to this is the existence of evil doesn't indicate the absence of God from the world, but the absence of him from our lives. We're the ones that brought evil into the universe so what we need to do is we need to go back to our chart, okay? Because evil shouldn't be over there. We need to move evil over to this side because evil is actually an argument for God, not an argument against God. Now, this doesn't answer the question why would God allow certain evils to, to go on? We haven't gotten there yet. All we're saying is, in principle, you can't say that evil disproves God because evil wouldn't exist unless God existed. I know that sounds counterintuitive, doesn't it? But if evil exists, and we all know it does, then God exists. So the answer to the first question is, does evil disprove God? No. Now we got to ask the question, what's the purpose of evil? If it doesn't disprove God, why does God allow it to continue? A number of years ago, I was at uh, Michigan State University doing our presentation. I don't have enough faith to be an atheist. And I knew there was a militant atheist in the audience because he sat through the entire two-hour presentation looking like this. I mean, he didn't crack a smile once. And I had some pretty good jokes in there. Anyway, when it got time to the Q&A, his hand shot up immediately. He was sitting on this side of the room. I said, yes, sir. He said, if there is a good God, why doesn't he stop all the evil in the world? I said, sir, that is an excellent question. Maybe because if he did, he might start with you and me because we do evil every day. You ever notice when we start complaining about evil, we always always complain about somebody else? We're saying, hey, God, why don't you stop him? Or God, why don't you stop her? We never say, God, why don't you stop me? Ladies and gentlemen, if God were to stop evil tonight at midnight, would you still be alive at 1201? I wouldn't be. We're always complaining about other people doing evil, never ourselves. Now, I actually said to the guy, I said, you know, sir, that's a great question. And if we had a couple of semesters to talk about it, we could, but we don't have that kind of time here tonight at Michigan State. We only have a couple of minutes. So what I wanna do is I wanna show you a one minute and 46, 46 second video. It's not gonna give you a complete answer, but it's gonna give you a doorway to an answer. So I showed him the video. I'm gonna show it to you now. You guys Ready? It's only one hour. It's only one hour. It's only one minute and 46 seconds. It's only one hour. That would be evil, right? It's only one minute and 46 seconds long. There's a lot going on, so you got to pay attention. You ready? All right, here we go. If God, why evil?
1: Is God good? If he is, why is there suffering and evil? Let's assume for the moment that God is all-powerful. This means that God can do anything that is logically possible. So he can create galaxies, and subatomic particles, and rainforests, and you. But God cannot do what is logically impossible. He cannot make a square circle, or a one-ended stick. So can God make a rock so big that he can't lift it? No. So what if, when God created human beings, he wanted them to be free? Freedom's a good thing, but... If humans are to be free, they cannot be forced to obey God. Because freedom without choice is like a square circle, it's a logical contradiction. No choice, no freedom. God didn't want robots, He wanted real people. The first humans endowed with the awesome power of free choice abused their freedom. The tragic consequences of their bad choice, and our bad choices, ripple across the world. God is responsible for the fact of freedom, but humans are responsible for their acts of freedom. But let's remember, we don't suffer alone. God will put an end to suffering and evil, and God became a man to suffer with us. God is good, and he wants real people like you to know him, but the free choice is yours.
0: Now, we have a number of videos on our YouTube channel and also our website, the Cross-Examine YouTube channel. If you want to see that particular video again, then just go to YouTube and type in, is God good? And you'll see it come up. This was actually done by a seminary colleague of mine, Jim Zangmeister. And the bottom line to that video, it's covering a lot of ground in a short period of time, but the bottom line really is this. Evil exists because we have free will, which is the only way love could exist. If God wants to create a universe of moral creatures, which he did, he's got to give us free will. So we can love. The problem is when he gives free will, he also gives the capacity to do evil. So evil exists because free will exists, which allows love to exist. So I actually showed that video at Michigan State that night. How do you think the atheist looked after I showed the video? Yeah, he, uh, he looked like this. He said, okay, I can see how free will explains some of it, but there's some evil that occurs that doesn't appear to be a result of free will. Like, why do babies die? They didn't do anything wrong, they didn't make any evil choice. And so I said, sir, the only way to answer or discover why a particular evil happens or any event happens in the world is to know what the purpose of life is. Because if you don't know the purpose of life, you can't see what the purpose of a particular event occurring is, even, say, a baby dying. And so, since I had just gone through the evidence that Christianity was true and the scriptures were true, I wanted to go to the Bible to figure out the purpose of life. So what is the purpose of life? This remains the interactive portion of the program. Why are we here? (laughs) He made us. All right, it's a free choice. I think probably the best place to get the answer to the question, what is the purpose of life, is when Jesus is praying for us to the Father in John chapter 17, he says this. This is eternal life, that they, meaning us, because he's praying for us, may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you've sent. The purpose of life is to know God and then to make him known. Now, know, for those of you that were here uh, yesterday, means not just intellectually knowing, but to know personally. Not just to believe that God exists, but to trust in him. You remember this distinction from yesterday? For the rest of you who weren't here, you're probably not even saved. So, um, <laughs> so there's a difference between belief that and belief in. Remember, even the demons believe that God exists, but they tremble. They don't trust in him. So Jesus is talking about not just believing that God exists, but trusting in him and then making him known, the great commission. That's why we're here. By the way, notice one other thing. He says, this is eternal life. Notice he doesn't say eternal life is endless time. Eternal life is a quality, not just a quantity. It's to know God and be known by him, to have a relationship with him. Here's the problem. If this is the purpose of life, to know God and then grow in God, knowing and growing in God often requires pain. In fact, C.S. Lewis put it brilliantly when he said, God whispers to us in our pleasures, speaks in our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It is his megaphone to arouse a deaf world. Do you know that sometimes you only look up when you're on your back? For those of you that are old enough, 20 years ago when 9 11 happened, 9 11 happened on a Tuesday. What happened the following Sunday? Just about every church in America was full. Why? (gasps) Uh oh, I'm not in control. Oh, there's pain and suffering coming. What's going to happen? I better look to God. Pain and suffering can do that, right? It can wake you up. Why did Jesus say it's difficult for a rich man to get into heaven? Because when you're rich, you think you got everything squared away. You, you're secure. You get, you get to do what you want to do. You're, you're in control, right? Of course, that's a, that's a facade. doesn't last forever, does it? Now, thankfully, Jesus didn't say it's, it's impossible for a rich man to get into heaven because if that were the case, none of us would make it because in America, we're all rich, right? Now, the scriptures also talk a lot about the value of pain and suffering in developing our character. Suffering, suffering develops character. James, for example, says, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Time out. Who here counts it all joy when you're going through a trial? I don't. James says that's what you're supposed to do. Why? Because knowing that the testing of your faith produces patience, it brings you to maturity, in other words. Paul in Romans chapter five says, we also glory in tribulation. Time out. Who here glories in tribulation? Lord, I'm so thankful I'm in this period of pain and suffering now because I know what it's going to bring. It's going to produce perseverance and perseverance, character and character, hope. We don't glory in it. That's what Paul's saying to do. By the way, in life, you, you can only have one of two things. You can either have despair or you can have hope. What do you got? Hope. I hope. I hope you have hope because if you have despair, that's pretty bleak. Jesus is our hope. In fact, difficulty makes us more like Christ. And as we'll see here in a minute, expands our soul. I want to ask you a question, a little thought experiment. What would happen to you if you got everything you wanted every time? If everything went your way all the time, that you got what you wanted every single minute of the day? I don't know about you, but I think we'd all turn out like this. Wouldn't we? We'd become spoiled brats. By the way, what do we call a kid who gets everything he wants? Spoiled. What's spoiled about him? Their character. If you want to ruin a kid, you give him or her everything he or she wants. You will. If that, if that kid doesn't hear no, you're not bringing up uh, a responsible adult. You're bringing up a monster. We need to hear no. We need to have obstacles in our life. We need pain and suffering. If we don't have it, We're going to become even more self-centered than we already are because our nature's bent toward evil. Our nature's bent toward selfishness. In fact, if you think about this, suffering develops character and some virtues can only be developed through evil and suffering or trial. You can't develop courage without danger. It's hard to develop perseverance without obstacles. How can you develop compassion unless someone is suffering? It's hard to develop patience without tribulation. Now, naturally, personality-wise, I'm a very impatient person. In fact, I've been praying for patience for quite a while, and frankly, I'm getting tired of waiting for it. (laughs) By the way, never pray for patience. Why? Because everything's going to go wrong that day. Your transmission will fall out of your car. Every line you get in will be the slowest moving line, right? Everything's going to go wrong. But we need patience if we're going to become more like Christ. Also, it's hard to develop character without adversity. And you can't really develop faith. And in this context, faith really means trust without need. If you've got everything you need, you're not going to turn to God. Everything you think you need. I know it's trite, but it's true. No pain, no gain. Actually, this doesn't go far enough. The real truth is this, more pain, more gain. In fact, the apostle Paul talks about this in a great passage on suffering at the end of 2 Corinthians chapter four. Here's what he says. He says, for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes, not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary and what is unseen is eternal. He's basically saying you're enhancing your capacity to enjoy God, not only now, but in eternity when you go through difficulty. Let me give you an example of this. It's a trite example, but I think it communicates. I, uh, I grew up in New Jersey, so I grew up a New York Giant fan. They stink this year and for the past several years. But back in 2004, they uh, traded with the Chargers to pick Eli Manning number one for their quarterback in the first few years in New York, Eli wasn't very good. In fact, when you're drafted number one in New York and you're not very good and your brother's name is Peyton, you're gonna hear about it, right? So he did for the first few years. Then in 2007, he had a pretty good year. He got his team to the playoffs and he defeated three, he defeated three playoff teams on the road, to get to the Super Bowl. In fact, one of the teams he defeated on the road was the hated Dallas Cowboys. In fact, we have a saying in New Jersey, whenever the Cowboys win, it's living proof that Satan is alive and well. (laughs) Anyway, the problem is Eli and the Giants are going up against the 18 and 0 New England Patriots led by Tom Brady and Randy Moss who had set all sorts of records that year for offense. And they were going to womp the Giants. In fact, the Giants were 12-point underdogs. The only people that picked the Giants were the Giants. In fact, before the game at one of those media days, they went up and asked the players what the final score would be. And one player they asked was Plexigo Burris, one of the receivers for the Giants, what's going to be the final score? And he said... Giants are going to win 21-17. And they went to Tom Brady and put the microphone in front of his face and said, hey, Plexico says Giants are going to win 21-17. What's, what do you say you? And all Brady said was, oh, we're only going to score 17 points? Okay. Well, then they actually played the game. Giants had a really good defense. They sacked Brady five times, which he didn't like. By the time they get to the fourth quarter, it's like a pitcher's duel. It's uh, it's uh, 14 to 10, and Eli has the ball, two minutes to go. He's got to go 80 yards. And at one point, it looks like he's going to go down in a hail of players. You know, Eli was like a statue back there. He normally didn't scramble, but he somehow got, gets out of this sack, and he throws a Hail Mary over the middle. It hits David Tyree in the helmet. He catches it in his helmet. So, one of the greatest catches in NFL history. He happened to be a Christian, he walked off the field. They had this all on NFL films. He goes, this is supernatural, man. He never caught another pass in the NFL. <laughs> Six plays later, Manning hits Burris, the guy that predicted the score in the corner of the end zone with 35 seconds to go. Giants win 17 to 14. And Tom Brady was deflated Some of you will get that tomorrow. All right. And then the Giants did it again to the Patriots four years later. Now, here's my question. When Eli Manning held up the Lombardi trophy after the game, and then the third string quarterback held it up who didn't play it down all year, who do you think enjoyed it more? Eli did. Why? Because he went through all the difficulty. He went through all the pain and suffering. He went through all the people who said he couldn't do it. He went through all of the naysayers. And therefore, he enhanced his capacity to enjoy the reward. The same thing is true in life. If you're in the game and you're going through difficulty, once you get to the other side, you're going to be able to enjoy the reward more so than if you sat on the sidelines the whole time. Oh yeah, you're still you're still be in heaven, but you're not going to have enhanced your capacity. Do you realize there are different levels of reward in heaven? Just like there are different levels of punishment in hell because that's what justice demands. So this is what Paul here is saying. And by the way, according to the scriptures, Any pain and suffering you're going through, if you are a Christian, is guaranteed to bring good later. Here's what Paul says in Romans 8. And we know that all things work together for good to those that love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. Notice he doesn't say all things are good. He says all things work together for good. There's a lot of evil out there that isn't good, quite obviously. So I explained all this at Michigan State. We're still there. After I explained all this, how do you think the atheist looked? Yeah, he, uh, he still looked like that. He said, that explains some of it. I can see how some good or some evil can bring forth good later. I get that. But there are certain things that happen in the world that no good can come from it. It's called gratuitous evil, which means God doesn't exist. If there's evil that happens, it doesn't bring any good. In fact, he said, what about the babies dying? You didn't answer that. I said, well, sir, we know why babies die in general, because this is a fallen world. But I don't know why a particular baby dies. However, I know why I don't know why. And the insight I learned in researching this has really helped me deal with this problem of evil, because if evil doesn't bother you, you haven't thought about it long enough. But this one insight I learned has really helped me deal with this issue. And I want to share it with you now. I want to point out, first of all, that if this life is all we have from conception to grave, yeah, there's a lot of evil in the world that doesn't appear to have any good ending. In fact, there's a lot of injustice that is never corrected. you realize if there's no God or no afterlife, there's no such thing as justice? Because there are people that get away with murder, literally. There are people that get away with rape. There are people that get away with sex trafficking. There are people that get away and never get caught. In fact, Hitler just killed himself. He didn't face any justice. If there's no afterlife and no God, he never gets any punishment? Nope. But if life doesn't end here, if life keeps going... then there can ultimately be justice, right? And things that occur in this life can actually be redeemed. In fact, this is the insight I learned. There's something out there known as the ripple effect. And the ripple effect can help us figure out why evil things occur, even if we don't have all the details. For example, why does a baby die? Why does this particular baby die? I don't know why this particular baby dies. However, it's possible that maybe this baby dying ripples forward to affect trillions of other events that ultimately brings forth a great evangelist 500 years from now who saves millions of people. Can we trace all those ripples? No, we're inside of time. We can't trace them all. We can't see them all, but God is outside of time. He can see how all things work together for good. We can't. But every event that occurs ripples forward. I mean, think about all the ripples in your life. You wouldn't even be sitting here today if your parents didn't meet. And you wouldn't be sitting here today if their parents didn't meet and their parents didn't meet and their parents didn't meet. We can't trace all that. I don't don't care if you have Ancestry.com, okay? You can't figure all this out. All those ripples that have led to today. In fact, Most of the time you don't see the ripple effect, but there are stories where you can actually see it. In fact, there's one in the Bible. You remember Joseph from the Old Testament? Joseph is sold into slavery by his brothers who hate him because he's dad's favorite. And they sell him into slavery to Egypt. He goes to Egypt, he experiences a lot of unjust treatment. He's thrown into prison on false charges, but then eventually he rises to the number three man in power in Egypt. And he puts a lot of grain aside. And his brothers then leave Israel to escape a famine. They come to Egypt. Joseph recognizes them. And what does Joseph say to them as soon as he recognizes them? You dirty rats, you're going to pay for what you did to me. No, he doesn't say that. (laughs) What does he say? He says this. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. In other words, the evil that the brothers did to Joseph actually served to ripple forward to actually help them later. Most of the time you can't see it, right? Here's an instance where you can see the ripple effect. The bottom line to that is this. While respecting free choice, God can bring good from evil. Yeah, God doesn't do evil, but he respects the free choice enough that allows us to do it, but even he can take those evils and bring good from it later which led probably, well, let me point it out this way. A lot of times when the problem is stated about if there's a good God, why is there evil? Though atheists will say things like, well, if God is all loving and all powerful, he would stop evil, right? So either he's not all loving or he's not all powerful or he's neither of these things. But you know what they forget? These aren't the only attributes of God. There's another attribute of God they're leaving out. Yeah, he's all loving. Yeah, he's all powerful, but he's also all wise, Maybe he has reasons for allowing certain things to happen that we don't know about. Which is why a Roman Catholic priest in Notre Dame about 150 years ago said this about this problem. One of the most profound things ever said about the problem of evil. Here's what he said. He said, if God would concede me his power for 24 hours, you would see how many changes I would make in the world. But if he gave me his wisdom too, I would leave things as they are. So about this time, we're still at Michigan State, by the way. There's a guy about 10 feet from the atheist who raises his hand. So I said, yes, sir. And he said, I know of a woman who was raped and the rape nearly destroyed her. In fact, she became pregnant as a result of this rape, but she decided that she was not going to punish the baby for the sin of the father. So she decided to bring this baby to term. Then his voice began to crack and he said, this woman gave birth to a boy And this boy grew up to be a pastor. And this pastor has led many people to Christ. By this time, he's crying in front of everybody. He said, this pastor not only has led many people to Christ, he's discipled many people into Christ. And he said, that baby boy grew up to be me. And then... And then he looked over at the atheist and he said, if my mom can bring good from evil, so can God. And I said, you're dismissed. I mean, what could I say after that? The guy had a better answer than I had. So how do you think the atheist looked after that? No, he ran out of the room. He was gone, literally. As soon as I said, you're dismissed, he went... But I went up to the pastor. I said, hey, what's your name? He said, my name's Gary Bingham. I'm a pastor in Marion, Indiana. He had driven down or driven up from Indiana to Lansing, Michigan that night to see the seminar. And I said, well, how's your mom? He said, well, she's much better now because four years ago she became a Christian. I said, well, obviously what your mom did has rippled forward in many ways through all the good you've done. fact it rippled forward all the way all the way till tonight because everybody in the auditorium heard what you said and by the way it's rippling forward right now because you just heard the story too and it's still rippling forward because it's in the book stealing from God we can't see how all these ripples move forward but God can so the final question is what's God's solution to evil Because evil doesn't disprove God. God has purposes for it. But what does he ultimately do with it? Now, before we get into this, I got to ask you guys a question. Here's the question. Does God promise to protect Christians from evil and suffering? No. In fact, here's a painting of Peter being crucified upside down. We don't know if he actually was crucified upside down, but we know he was martyred for his faith. Question. What is the common thread running through all these biblical heroes? They've all experienced extreme pain and suffering in their lives, some of them to the part of martyrdom, including our Lord himself. Why do we in a comfortable American Christianity think that we deserve better than Jesus and the apostles? You ever hear people say, I left the faith because I went through pain and suffering? Which faith? Faith. You didn't leave the Christian faith because of that, because if you knew the Christian faith, the Christian is called to pain and suffering. In fact, it's promised. Jesus said, if they persecuted me, they're going to persecute you. He said, in this world, you will have trouble, but take heart, I've overcome the world. Paul said, anyone who lives a faithful life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Yet there are people running around right now in America saying, if you're not healthy and wealthy, it's because you don't have enough faith. If you think about that for a minute, you'll realize how silly that is. Are you telling me that these people you see on the screen didn't have enough faith, including Jesus and the apostles? That's nonsense. We're called to suffer like Christ. In fact, early Christians counted it a privilege to suffer and share in Christ's sufferings. We, we think suffering is when we lose Wi-Fi. Lord, where are you? I got no internet. <laughs> Just remember, this earth is not heaven. Amen. Yet. It will be one day. In fact, you know, realize, you realize we're not going to be ghosts in heaven, right? That we're all, there's ultimately going to be a physical place and we'll have physical resurrected bodies and this earth will be part of it. A new heavens and a new earth. So what's God's ultimate solution to evil? God suffered himself. God entered the bloodstream of humanity, added humanity to his deity, allowed the creatures that rebelled against him to torture and kill him so he could then take their punishment on himself so he could remain infinitely just and infinitely loving. And allow unjust creatures like us to go unpunished. To not only forgive us, but to give us his righteousness. That is the greatest story ever told. And his pain can be our gain. Do you realize that every worldview has to deal with the problem of evil. It's not just Christians. Christians have to deal with it. Muslims have to deal with it. Hindus, Buddhists, atheists. Everyone has to deal with the problem of evil. Turns out that the only worldview that can deal with it adequately is Christianity. In fact, Christianity is the answer to the problem of evil. That's what it is. If there was no evil, there would be no need for Jesus. If we hadn't done evil, we wouldn't need a savior. But since we have done evil, we need a savior. That's what the story of Christianity is. The answer to the problem of evil. Now I say, his pain can be our gain. Why do I say that? Because if you don't want to accept what Christ has done, if you don't want to repent and accept what he's done, you don't have to. You can stay separated from him. I was at another Michigan school a number of years ago, University of Michigan. We were doing a debate with an atheist by the name of Eddie Tabash. He was a Beverly Hills attorney, and he asked me this question. He said, my mother was a survivor of the Holocaust. Toward the end of her life, after living a life full of pain and suffering, somebody offered her the gospel, but she rejected it, and then she died. Is she in hell right now? It's a pretty tough question to ask in front of a secular audience. Basically, he's saying, you know, would a loving God send you to hell? You just don't trust in Christ. And so I said, Eddie, I don't know where your mother is now. I don't know if she had a deathbed conversion or not. But if your mother did not accept Christ before she died, then God is too loving to force her into heaven against her will. You see, because the assumption behind the question is that everybody wants to go to heaven. That is not true. There have been people running from Jesus their entire lives. Right? Right? And who's in heaven? Jesus. So what's Jesus going to do in the afterlife? Going, hey, where are you going? You're with me now. Get over here. That wouldn't be loving. You say, but wait, wait, wait. what's all this business about hell? Well, I used an illustration with the University of Michigan audience. I'll use it with you. In fact, I had a question for the ladies. So the question, this question here is for the ladies. ladies. Ladies, have you ever had a man pursue you whom you did not want to date? Some of you are going, yeah, and he's sitting next to me right now. He will not leave me alone. Whenever I ask that question, the ladies always giggle and the men look at their shoes. Like, Is she looking at me right now? Well, ladies, suppose this man keeps pursuing you. He keeps pursuing you and he keeps asking you out. And you finally say, look. I like you, but only as a, ladies, why don't you just stick the knife in and turn it. Every man has heard the dreaded friend rejection. Gentlemen, if you ever get the dreaded friend rejection, move on. She's not interested. In fact, I have some shocking news for you. She does not even like you as a friend. (laughs) Right, ladies? Ladies, admit it. Come on, you're just trying to let him down easy, right? Yeah, the ladies are going, yeah, that's right. I don't really like him as a friend because if I did, I'd be interested. But you're not. But suppose this still doesn't deter the guy. He keeps pursuing and he finally says, look, I love you so much, I'm going to force you to love me. Ladies, run, screaming from the building. Can he force you to love him? No. Love by definition must be freely given. If he truly did love you, ladies, what would he do? He would leave you alone. That's what God does for us. He sends us cards, letters, and flowers. He sends us creation. He sends us conscience. He sends us Christ. He sends us Northwest Church. He sends us Pastor Ben. He may even, if we're a a dream, if we're we're a Muslim somewhere in a far off land, he may send us a dream or a vision. And if we keep saying, no, 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 we don't want you. I don't want you. God will give you up to your own desires you will be separated from him from all eternity. You say, what could be so bad about that? All right, well, think about it this. Think think about it this way. Whether you're a Christian or not, everybody gets some of the common grace of God, meaning everybody, rain falls on the just and the unjust, right? I mean, sometimes virtually everyone experiences some of the goodness of God. They experience love, they experience relationships, they experience hope and a hope for a future and all these things, right? Everyone experiences this kind of stuff. But I want you to imagine a place where there is no love, where there are no relationships, where there is no future, there is no hope. There's just stone, cold, narcissistic self-absorption. That is Washington, (laughs) D.C. (laughs) Actually. That is hell. You're separated from the ultimate source of goodness by your own choice, and you will be punished according to your sin. You're separated from God. This is what Paul talks about. And not only in Romans chapter one, but in... I think it's 1 Thessalonians he talks about, maybe 2 Thessalonians 1, that hell is separation from God because you have sinned and you've rejected the solution to your sin. You've rejected the one who could save you. Look, C.S. Lewis put it best. At the end of the day, here's how he put it. He said, in the end, there are only two kinds of people. Those who say to God, thy will be done and those to whom God says, thy will be done. If God exists, and he does, and if there's an afterlife, and there is, there's only two possible destinations for you. You're either going to be with God in the afterlife, that's heaven, or you're going to be separated from God in the afterlife, that's hell. So what does God ultimately do? What's his ultimate solution? Is He quarantines people who are sinners and haven't accepted the free gift in a place called hell. Hell is a quarantine of evil. He doesn't end evil he just quarantines it because to end evil would be to end people so he quarantines it and those that want to accept the free gift will be renewed and they'll be with god forever so bottom line does evil disprove god the answer is no it actually shows god does exist what's the purpose of evil There's many purposes for evil. One of them is to bring us closer to God and to grow us as we get closer to God. Sometimes it's there to wake us up. Also, what's God's solution to evil? He takes evil upon himself and he quarantines it ultimately for people that don't want to be redeemed. Now, there's a lot more to this. If you want to get more on this, just text this one word, why evil, to this phone number, 855-909-0582. 855-909-0582. I'm going to send you the entire PowerPoint presentation, even slides I couldn't show you. Now we've sold out of the books and the DVDs. However, if you go to the book table, I'll be back there. If you want to buy one now, order it now. We're going to ship them here this week. So next week when you come to church, it'll be there for you. That way you don't have to pay shipping. Okay, so if you want to get one, I'll see you at the book table. If not, at least text why evil to this phone number so you can get this entire PowerPoint presentation. Bottom line to the whole thing, where was God? Well, God at one point was hanging on a cross to take all of our sins upon himself. But he didn't just die, he also rose again. Do you realize whether you have trusted in Christ or not, you're going to rise again? Everyone's going to get resurrected. The only question is, where are you going to be once you're resurrected? If you want to be with Jesus, Pastor Ben's going to give you an opportunity to do that. Pastor Ben.
2: Yeah, thank you. Let's stand as we close. We've talked about so many things, the problem of evil, the solution that Jesus is, and really... What better time to focus on this than the time of Christmas, right? Jesus came in order to be our solution. The Bible would call him a substitute, a substitute. He took our place, but that's only true for those that receive Jesus Christ as Lord. And the word that comes to my mind today is the word surrender. And so many of you I know in the room, you've already given your life to Jesus, those of you online, but if you're here today, you're watching and you have not surrendered your life to Christ, Today is the day of salvation. It's not difficult. It's not rocket science. It's not hard. It's just a decision where you surrender your life to Jesus and say, "I want you to be in my life. I want to follow you for the rest of my life." We turn from our way. We turn to His way, and that can happen very simply. And instead of asking for a show of hands or for you to close your eyes, we don't we don't necessarily do that here. But what we do ask you to do is that at the close of this service and after I pray, would you come forward? If you want to receive Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, know where you're going to be when you die. Know who you're living for and what your purpose is in this life. I'm asking you to come forward after the service. We'll pray. We want to give you a Bible. If you have questions and they're challenging, that's fine. Ask those questions. We're prepared to talk to you about that. But it is the best decision that we could ever make. And there is another probably category of people here today, and that is those where you've come and Maybe there have been people in your life that have misrepresented Jesus. I just continue to think about that in the days in which we're living. There's so many people that have said that they were Christians, and to some of us, they have misrepresented Christ. They look like everything but Jesus. Isn't that true? And there's a simple illustration that we talked about last service, and that is as if somebody was playing a, a, a symphony, if somebody was playing Bach, I mean, this incredibly prolific and profound song, and they they were playing it in a wrong way, and it just sounded terrible. Would you blame Bach for somebody else not playing his music the right way? Would you say, well, this song is no good because of that person playing that song in a way that just sounded terrible? No, you would say this person who played it didn't do a good job of representing the one that made an incredible song. Some people have profoundly misrepresented Jesus, but they are not Jesus. They have misrepresented the Bible, but they are not the Bible. And I would tell you today that Jesus is beautiful. Isn't that the truth? 23 years ago, I found out that Jesus was beautiful and he's never let me down. The Bible says this, that those who put their hope in him will not be put to shame. We may have placed our hope in something else or someone else, but if we put our hope in Jesus, we will not be put to shame. Friend, maybe you put your hope in something else. Maybe you put your hope in someone else and you thought, wow, this person said they were a Christian and they just did not live up to it. Has anybody lived up to it? Has any of us lived up to the Christ that we follow? The answer is very simply no. And so I would tell you today, maybe you walked away from Jesus because somebody did not represent him well. It's just time to come back. But come back to Christ. Come back to the only one who is perfect. Come back to Jesus. And if that's you today, please listen Make your way down after the service and let's pray together. The rest of us, let's pray. Father, we thank you today for your love. We thank you that you've given the solution to evil. We thank you that we're not wandering around aimlessly, wondering what our purpose is, what we're about, what we're to do, where we're to go. But we know that following Jesus is our lot in life. And today there are some of us, maybe even online, where we need to surrender. And I pray that today, for those that that would be the case, uh, Lord, it would happen Thank you that you pursue us and and you do help us to understand that Jesus is real, Jesus is right, and he is the way. So, Father, let today be a day of salvation. Encourage us, strengthen us to go and encourage and reach others. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen.
0: Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Northwest Church, go to our website, nwcfoursquare.org or download our app in any of the app stores by searching Northwest Foursquare Church.